Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. And uh, so I want to speak to you a message today entitled, Know His Will, K-N-O-W, Know Your Will, N-O. But before we do that, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem, we're going to start in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you are doing, tell him the Lord needs it and will return it shortly. So they went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. They untied it. And some who were standing there asked, why are you untying the colt? The disciples answered, as Jesus had instructed them, and the people gave them permission. They let the, uh, they, then they led the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread the branches they had cut from the field. The, one who went ahead, the ones who went ahead and those who followed were shouting this, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Know his will, know your will. Let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much. Lord, for for the beautiful picture of what this day is all about. God, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray you'd quicken our hearts to believe. And Lord, I pray that you would make some things clear today that we would not leave the same. Help us to see you clearly today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Listen, everybody that's uh, here for the very first time, we're so grateful that that you're here. Welcome home. Everybody that's online, uh, once again, we just want to say, let us know where you're tuning in from. Uh, So just, you know, put a little little hello in the chat. Let us know where you're you're from. We'd love to connect with you. And we have a a prayer number. If you need prayer or you need to connect for any reason, uh, we'd love to connect with you. You know, I, I think that there is... Well, let me say not I think. We all make different entrances into different places every single day. There's all sorts of entrances in life, isn't there? Like we're always walking through different doors. There's always so many doors to walk through. Uh, The average person enters a door about 20 to 25 times a day. And most of us, when we enter the door, we're not really overwhelmed. (laughs) Like we don't look and say... That door is amazing. You see this door? What about that one? We don't get overwhelmed by entrances so much. Majority of our entrances are very ordinary, but then there are just some that stand out to us a little bit. Like when I say ordinary, when you leave your house every day, it's not like the most exciting thing in the world, or at least it shouldn't be. Like if you're leaving your house saying, yes, yes, like we have counseling, we can help you with that. It's not a healthy sign. But, but, but there's, some, there's some doors that are ordinary, but then there's some that we remember and we never forget. There's some entrances that we make or that we've made that are etched on our hearts forever. 
For example, as I entered the doors of a church in St. Louis visiting my mom, little did I know that day that the pastor would call me out, God would read my mail, and my life would never be the same. I'll never forget that entrance. I'll never forget the day in a church where I saw the back doors open, light shining through, my beautiful bride-to-be looking all beautiful and pretty. And I'm thinking to myself, this is too good to be true. Like, like something's got to go wrong. It was one of those moments where just something has to go wrong. Like maybe a chandelier is going to fall on my head. Is this really happening? Never forget that entrance. How about, how about, how about your kids when your kids are born? Come on, gentlemen. That is an entrance you will never forget. <laughs> that is like etched on your heart in a lot of different ways. Never going to forget that. Uh, and then there's just some entrances that we wish we never would have entered. I remember clearly it was Stone Ridge Mall back when it was actually like a mall. Um, I remember walking into the women's restroom to wash my hands. Anybody ever done that? Made a wrong entrance. Didn't even pay attention. If I would have walked in and had to use the bathroom, it would have been easy, but I had to wash my hands. So I walked in, washing my hands, and, you know, I'm looking up in the mirror and a lady comes out of the stall. And, and for a moment, you're just like, what? what's going on? And then you realize, wrong entrance. I'm so sorry as you storm out of the bathroom. We, we make entrances every single day. I, uh, can you check all my slides? Yo, you're messing with the computer, you're messing with my slides. Thank you. No, go back, go back, go back. Um, and so there are a lot of entrances that we make. Some are ordinary, some are etched on our hearts forever. But the entrance that Jesus made on Palm Sunday was an entrance that would change the world, probably the most profound entrance the world has ever known. That entrance would change the way you and I connect to God. It was an entrance where Jesus would soon uh, embrace the wrath of God as a result of our sinfulness, taking our punishment upon himself, absorbing our penalty, that we would be rescued from sin and death. Come on, that is a great amen. And that's forever, that's etched on our hearts forever, for all eternity. And so there are moments and entrances that change the game forever. There are some that are ordinary. But Jesus this day just wasn't making an entrance. He was making a way. He was making a way that would, would, would satisfy every human heart. In fact, it was said this way, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so, so let, let this sink in. He, he wasn't just making an entrance. He was making a way. I would say it like this. If you really knew his way, you wouldn't want your way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. When you know his way, you'll see that it's better than your way, and that's where you start to make headway. I had to throw it in there. It rhymed. It preached good. I'm like, I'm just going to give it to you. And so, so Jesus entered on this day in, in a very specific way. He, he entered uh, very intentionally. This was the first day of Passover that he's, he's making his entrance. Now, if you know the history of Passover, um, this is going to be very familiar to you. If you don't, if you're new to church, Passover, or let me say it like this. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, that'll give you a head start. But, but Passover was a time where God heard the cries of his people. And he raised up a guy by the name of Moses to rescue his people. And Moses went to Pharaoh because they, uh, they were slaves under the oppression of Egypt. And, and Moses went to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and said, hey, God says to let his people go. 
Pharaoh didn't want to do that. And so God sent 10 plagues upon the land. The last plague, the most devastating one, was the angel of death. That was the one where Pharaoh finally said, all right, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. As the angel of death would pass through the land of Egypt, the word of the Lord came to his people and said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take the blood of the lamb. You're going to spread it over your doorpost so that as that angel of death is passing through, it will pass over your house and you will not be harmed. And so, so, so this was a, a day of celebration, like of God hearing their cries. Uh, th- this was a, a, a victory um, over death, over oppression. They were getting ready to be released and, and they were going to experience freedom. And so now Jesus is making an entrance, you know, uh, several years later. And it's, it's kind of a similar setting. Now the Jewish people, they are under the oppression of Rome. They're slaves to Rome. You can almost feel the tension in the air as it's Passover, as they're celebrating. God, as you delivered us from Pharaoh, now deliver us from Rome. Do it again, God. Wipe these guys out. And so the Romans, they, they knew. They knew what Passover was all about. So what they would do is they would stack the deck with double amounts of soldiers, reminding them who was in charge. Reminding them that that what happened back then is not going to happen today. And so not only was it the first day of Passover, but it was Lamb Selection Day. It was where the people would pick a spotless lamb, bring it back to their house, and they would examine the lamb for four days before it was slaughtered. But it it had to be spotless. And so we see very clearly here that Jesus was not coming to select a lamb this day. On Lamb Selection Day, he was coming to be the lamb, where he would be inspected for four days by Pilate, by Herod, found without spot, without blemish, found with no fault, the spotless lamb of God. See, when you understand the history of this, all of a sudden it it paints a little bit bigger of a picture. John the Baptist said it this way. He says, when John saw Jesus coming toward him, this is what he said. He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cross was ahead. It was only a few days away where he would be sacrificed for our sin. I like to say it like this. Jesus was about to be slaughtered so we could be covered. It it would no longer be the blood over a door. It would be the, the blood of Jesus over our hearts. And it seemed like everything was going good. I mean, Jesus is making an entrance. People are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. First rap song, first hook. And, 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 and what it means is God save us. God rescue us. God, you're able to do so. And then what happens, the crowd diminishes. And a few days later, people start to yell out, crucify him. It wasn't the entire crowd. Sometimes you hear you know, preachers say, oh, it was the entire crowd. It wasn't the entire crowd. That, that would be bad theology. But there was a lot of people in the crowd that were yelling, crucify him. First, they were saying, Hosanna in the highest. God, you're able. God, you're the one. You're the guy. And then when Jesus wasn't the king they expected, when he wasn't going to actually overthrow Rome right then and there, they were like, oh, crucify this cat. Matter of fact, not just crucify him. We want Barabbas. Like, give us a murderer. Like, we don't want a king that'll be slain. That's not the type of king that we want. We want a king that slays. 
And so when Jesus did not measure up to the king that they expected, they went from praise him to crucify him. I would like to say they had a pick and pull Jesus. A pick and pull Jesus, and, and we can really ream on people like that. Like, how could they do that? Like, how could you be so hypocritical? Like, Hosanna, and then crucify him. Like, why the change of mind? But I think it's so easy to judge people like that. But I think we many times have the same tension. Like, sometimes we like to have a pick and pull Jesus as well. And what do I mean by pick and pull Jesus? I mean, we like to pick the scriptures that we like, that make sense. Like, oh, I can get on board with that. That's good. But then some of them were like, oh, I don't like that one very much. I don't really want to listen to that one. I'm just going to pick and pull. I'm just going to pick the ones. Anybody ever been to a pick and pull? Nobody goes to pick and pull anymore. I love pick and pull back in the day. You'd actually pull up your car. If you needed a steering wheel, pick and pull. If you needed a tire or something for your interior, pick a pull. Some of you guys are sitting on it. I mean, there, there may be some great things off of Davis Street and San Leandro right now. You may need to pay a little visit to Big and Pool. But, but we just, what do we do? We, we pull out the stuff we want and we leave the other stuff that we don't want. They wanted the coming savior. They wanted the coming king to rescue them. They just didn't want Isaiah 53 that would say how he would do it. That he would be beaten, that he would suffer, that he would die. The suffering Messiah. They're like, what? We, we can't wrap our heads around a suffering Messiah. That's nonsense. No, we, we don't want that kind of a king. What kind of a king gets slain? Pick up in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew's gospel. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I mean, this is kind of a pick and pull passage. Like, like a lot of times we don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to take up our cross and follow him. I mean, we just kind of breeze over that. We, we like the, po the poetry of it but sometimes not the reality of it. I'm including myself, so I'm not pointing the finger at you. Got you. Relax. Feel it in the room. It says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? See, it didn't make sense for them. And sometimes when we read passages like this, it doesn't make sense for us. Like, like what do you mean if I want to save my life, I actually have to lose it and give it to you? Like, I'm just not feeling that. Like, like, you're lucky I came to church. Shoot, once out of every five weeks. Like, I feel like I'm sacrificing enough. And so it was against the Jewish paradigm to believe that the Messiah wasn't going to come and establish an earthly kingdom. And sometimes it's against our paradigm um, to believe that, that, that Jesus, that, that there's actually a cost that, that, that we have to pay. In following him, he paid the ultimate cost, so we're not working for our salvation or anything like that, but, but there is a cost at following him. And sometimes we just, it doesn't work with our paradigm. Like Jesus is supposed to make us happy and give us whatever we want. We want the pick and pull. Wow. So let me just give you a breakdown of what pick and pull Jesus looks like. Pick and pull Jesus, we think we can worship him without suffering for him. We think we can live for him without dying to ourselves. We think we can read scripture but don't have to obey scripture. Right, you ever do like your devotionals? You're like, well, don't have to obey that, but I got it done, baby. We get to, we, we, we think we can get him to conform to our image rather than us conforming to his. We think we can have him as our savior, but not our Lord. That's the pick and pull Jesus. And we're all guilty of it at moments. I 
just don't want that part. And then there's the Walmart Jesus. Fast, cheap, and affordable. Where I just want to get in. Boom, I love Walmart. I'm not knocking Walmart. I, I love Walmart. I'm at Walmart all the time. But, but this, this is the one that doesn't cost too much. The Jesus that's quick. Again, get in on a Sunday and I'm out. Don't have to talk to anybody. Don't want to say hello to anybody. Just get the little message in. Mm, out that door. Bam. Quick. And if he doesn't give you what you want, oh, let, let, let trouble happen to you. And it's like, did you not see me at church on Sunday? Huh. Maybe I won't go next week. Maybe I need to get another save. You know, there's a target down the street. Right? So we can just gravitate toward another savior. I like to say it like this, is that the real Jesus will give us what we need, even at the cost of what we want. That's, good. That's how much he loves us. And then there's the medicated Jesus. The medicated Jesus is the Jesus that numbs our pain, but doesn't have to heal it because wow. he, he's just in control. You know, so, so God, you know, he just kind of numbs my pain. I don't have to deal with my brokenness, my attitude, or all the things in my life that need to change. Oh, no, 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 I'm saved, and he's in control. And we just, we don't have to deal with brokenness. I don't have to deal with my pain. I know my attitude is horrible, but it's okay because he's in control. I know that the world around me is broken, but that's okay. He's going to figure out a way to reach them. Like, it's all right. I don't have to feel broken over the things of this world. I don't, need to, I don't need to deal with my own pain and brokenness. I just have to ignore it because he's in control, putting my faith in him. And God's like, yeah, but there's so much I want to do on the inside of you. You heard the saying that Jesus loves us where we're at, but loves us enough not, not, not to leave us there. And so the medicated Jesus just says, I won't have to deal with anything, but that's so inconsistent with Christ. I mean, even though he knew what he was going to do on several occasions, he still wept. He still felt the gravity of the brokenness of sin and death in the world. It says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So, so Jesus was willing to experience this in pain and suffering. He wept. He didn't turn a blind eye to sin. He didn't turn a blind eye to the cross ahead. He was telling his disciples all along that the cross is coming. And he was fully in control. Yet his heart broke over all of the brokenness of your life, of my life, of the world. And he's like, man, something has to be done. I'm not making an entrance. I'm making a way. I'm coming as the lamb. I'm coming as the lamb. See, see, the true Jesus will always contradict you. You heard me say in a sermon a couple weeks ago, if Jesus, if God can't contradict you, he's really not God of your life. Like if you guys are always in agreement, you know, unless you were just totally surrendered. Like, like, like you're on the floor right now in your heart. You're just... But no, we, we all have the battles with him, don't we? I don't know about this. I don't know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I know it doesn't make sense. Like when you're offended, he says, you need to go and make that right. Yeah. Even when, I mean, think about this. If somebody has offended you, you leave your gift at the altar, go and make it right with them. Yeah. But you're like, dude, they offended me. He's like, yeah, but it's always your move. Yeah, that's Ooh, that's contradicting. That's if you've offended somebody 
and you know you have, he's going to tell you, hey, go make that right. I don't want, I, that's why I offended him. I don't want to make it right. I'd rather leave it offended. It feels much better like this. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, I'm the way. You're like, yeah, but I'm going this way. You know, you guys remember Jonah tried to go his own way. And God's like, you think you can run from me, dude? I love you too much to let you run. I'm not going to let you run. And I think if we're honest, we have all had moments where we wanted Jesus to fit our mold. And then we realize Isaiah chapter 55, right, that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we realize at some point, or we have to realize that, that, that we need to trust his way when the plan doesn't make sense. That's it. Sometimes it's so hard for us to do this, right? If everything makes sense, it's really not trust and faith. Because there's going to be some things that you're just not going to quite get. Matthew chapter 21, verse 3, go into the village ahead of you, he says, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So just get the, the, like, take a journey with me and put yourself in the disciples' shoes. So you're going to pull the whole the Lord needs it move. It's a, have you ever like tried to go take somebody's property? But like, like you're actually, maybe there's a little invasion or maybe you didn't even know you were taking their property, but maybe it was their seat at Costco in the food court. Like, excuse me, that's mine. That's my drink that you just moved and put in the cart. You guys ever done that? You guys ever take somebody's basket? Like, like, like literally you see a basket there and you look for like two seconds and it clears your conscience. Nobody's around. You take out their stuff, put it somewhere else. You're like, you guys totally know that. I've done that. I, mean, I don't steal it from people, but I make sure that nobody's around. I, look, I do a double take. Anybody here? Gone. But they said, the Lord needs this. Like, imagine the disciples, you want us to do what? So you want us to go up to this guy that has, a, you know, a, a donkey and a little colt, and you want us to say, the, the Lord needs this. Now, now, think about this for a moment. Like, we are the disciples. This is a menial task. You want us to go get a, a donkey? Like, that's not a very exciting or prestigious call to go get the horse. Some would call it another name. But it says, no, the Lord needs it. So I, I think it was an awkward moment because even as they do, we see in Mark's gospel, which I read earlier, they're like, hey, that's mine. Like, what are you? What are you doing? And then they try it. The Lord needs it. And he's like, it's all good. Take it. And so you imagine in that moment, they're like, this stuff works. Like you're going to just let us take your stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the, the Lord needs it. Now, now, don't get any ideas. I know some of you guys are thinking you think that BMW X5, you're going to walk into the dealership today. The Lord needs it. Yeah, and they're, they're going to say, then the bank needs your credit and your payment, and we're good. And Jesus let them know. He said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll bring it back. But it, but it was this moment where they're doing a menial task, and Jesus said, okay, the time is now. We're going to ride in. The disciples still didn't really know what was going on. So, so you can imagine we're going to ride in like it's time. Romans, here we come. Like it's about to go down. Comets are about to fall from the sky. Swords are going to be drawn it's going down. Probably a great wind and fire. Like, we're ready. 
It's like, what are we riding on? I think the disciples were like this. We're going to ride on that P.F. Chang horse. Where are they at? Where's it at? Jesus is like, nope. But you see, they were so used to the Romans dominating. This is how they rode. Very prestigious, very powerful. And so I was like, no, we're, 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 what are we riding? Jesus is like, man, we're riding this. How embarrassing if you're a disciple. Like, really? Like, I didn't know we were getting this to ride in on this thing. Like, we're going to tie, you know, pull you down the, down the road. Embarrassing. Jesus needs a PR firm to help his popularity. But again, the Romans would parade. And they would come back from slaying somebody in war, dominating opposing forces. And they would come in elegance and glamour. This was their, this, this is what they knew. But little did they know this little ridiculous moment would be used to fulfill prophecy. This took place to fill, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Rejoice greatly. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That's what he declared. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Zion. Ready for this? See your king comes to you righteous and victorious. That's what everybody wanted. But they didn't want lowly. See, we always conclude righteous and victorious as power. And it was. It is. But not as the world knows it. The Gospels would translate this as gentle, riding on a donkey, insignificant, just, just seeming almost ridiculous, yet righteous and victorious, riding in on a donkey. I think, listen, can I just tell you, if you are a part of our church here, never say, I just work with kids. Never say, I'm just holding a sign. I'm just an usher. I'm just a greeter. Never feel like maybe you're a little bit more qualified than to go untie something. Because the Lord may be wanting to fulfill something in and through your life that doesn't make sense in the moment. But there's something on the other side of that. It was almost like this. Why in the world would Jesus choose to do this? Because Jesus loved Scripture. And Scripture was way more important than popular opinion or appearance. It was like, I know my ways looks ridiculous. I know the world would look and be like, this makes no sense. But they have no idea that the lamb is here. Oh, if they only knew as he's weeping over the city, if you only knew the time of my visitation, that the way up would be down, that I didn't come to bring judgment on the Romans. I'm coming to bear the judgment of the world. And it's such an insignificant way. You remember Moses at the Red Sea. I love Moses because there's such a humanity to him. As you look through the scriptures, one of the things I love about, about the Bible is the Bible doesn't pull any punches. You see an authenticity in, 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 in the people in the scripture. They're, they're real people. They're human. And so you figure you, you have like Pharaoh, you know, just un, God just unleashed the, the tenth plague. He's like, fine, take your people, and take God's people and get out of here. And Moses is like, let's go. He has this staff that God had given him, and there's the Red Sea on the, on the front side, and Pharaoh changes his mind and says, you know what? Forget you. I'm coming after you. And so 
He starts coming from behind, and Moses is like, man, chariots behind me, water in front of me. What do I do? And God says, why are you crying out to me? Hold out that staff. And Moses is like, this stick? Like, I know it's done some cool stuff recently, but you just stretch it out. Like, what does God put in your hand? That seems so insignificant, but God's like, man, would you, will you just stretch it out? Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a resource. Maybe it's something the Lord needs that you've kind of downplayed. It's like, really, it's, it's a stick. It's a donkey. It looks ridiculous. Can I just tell you, I love what Tim Keller says. I paraphrase it, but you'll get the gist. The Jesus is our king, not our consultant. If his plan always makes sense to us, we would follow based on agreement, not obedience. He's not our consultant. So the Lord may be asking you to take a next step in a particular area today. Maybe this Palm Sunday, it's about an entrance that God is calling you to make. Maybe God is calling you to serve in a particular way. It doesn't just have to be at our church. Maybe there's, maybe there's somebody at your job, and you just know it. Maybe there's someone at school, and you just know it. Maybe it's somebody in your home, and, and you, you just know that God has been unctioning you to step through that door, and you haven't done it. Maybe it's something that God has put in your heart. Maybe it's been a dream that you've been sitting on. And you're just like, no, it's just, it's, no, 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 no. Just put those things before the Lord. And as insignificant as sometimes they see, you have no idea what God wants to do. I remember one time I was preaching on this passage, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I was at Starbucks, and I was studying, and, and I had a picture on my laptop when I was in the Middle East in Israel. And it was, it was a picture of the Dome of the Rock. I was doing like a selfie in it or something. And the, the guy next to me, he, he looked over. He said, hey, is that the Middle East? And I was like, yeah, I went to Israel. And he said, dude, I'm... I'm I'm from Egypt, and we got into this conversation. Long story short, he was hurt by the church, and so God's just breathing life into him, and I'm thinking, man, this is why I'm at Starbucks today. It's small, and it's insignificant, and, but, but God is doing something here, so I get up to leave, and God says, sit down. You ever heard, like, not in, like, he didn't go, sit down. Not, not like that. But, like, he spoke to my heart. I know God's voice. So I'm getting up. I'm packing up my stuff because I need to go to Best Buy, and he says, sit down. The other guy left, so I sit down. And I'm like, okay. It's one of those faith moments. So I just open up my Bible again, flip open my computer. And there's an older guy sitting next to me, so I'm like showing him the picture, like maybe it's another one, right? <laughs> Any correlation here? And, uh, and five minutes goes by, I'm just studying, just thinking like, God, am I being ridiculous? Am I, did I read too much into that? And just in a moment's time, this gentleman reaches over to me and says, how do you know your way is right? Wow. I was like, whoa, wow. coming in hot, right? And I said, well, matter of fact, dude, I'm, I'm preaching on John chapter 14, verse 6 this weekend. He was like, well, how, how do you know? Like, I've been searching for truth for 62 years. Show me where Jesus says that he is God. I said, well, man, I was just preaching on this. John chapter 14, so I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. 
And so he's like, yeah, 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 but, 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 like, how do you know he's God? And then I said, well, a couple verses later, Jesus tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's like, oh! And he was stuck. And we were just quiet. I was like, what is happening? And he's like, I've never heard that before. No one's ever told me that before. So I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, I have to go pick up my wife. Can I call you later? And I said, absolutely. I gave him my number. He never called. But it was an insignificant study moment at Starbucks, just listening to the prompting of sit down. Sit down. Listen, we have to trust Jesus his way when the plan doesn't make sense. The second thing is this, is we, we have to trust his way when the cost doesn't make sense. Luke chapter 18, there was a, a rich young ruler, an influencer, if you would. I think today he would have had like a big channel, lots of followers, lots of endorsements, and so much money, but a gap in his heart. So he hears about eternal life, and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I, I want this eternal life. And long story short, Jesus said, yeah, but there's one thing that has a hold of your heart that you need to let go of. It's your money. So he says, sell everything and follow me. Long story short, the guy said, That's, that cost is way too high. Even though he was getting the better end of the deal, he didn't do it. And it says he walked away sad. We all have to count the cost. There was a time at the end of John's gospel where Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, hey Peter, you're going to die for my sake. And Peter's next response was he pointed at John and said, well, what about him? Like, what are you going to do with, with John? John always gets the easy way out. I hate that. I'm, a, I'm more like Peter in a lot of ways, right? I'm sorry, it's always going to cost more. It's always going to be a little more tough. And Jesus is like, Peter, who cares? If I want him to remain until I return, you follow me. See, following Jesus, listen, losing your life is not just a couple hours on Sunday. It's abandoning all your hopes, all your dreams, everything. Unless God gives you the green light. But can I just tell you, in light of all that he's done for you, when you really know his way, it's so easy to say no to your way because you know him. And all of a sudden, the cost isn't really a cost anymore. Look at, look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul was like the guy. He had more degrees than the sun. And what happened? He said, man, I'll count all this is lost that I might know him. I want to know him. I know it looks crazy. I know it seems ridiculous. I know I've worked so hard. I know I'm the man, but I don't want any of that anymore because I've gotten a taste and I know there's so much more. So you can have it all. You can have it all. And so they brought the donkey and the colt to him and they threw their garments over him. I love that. Garments were not like cheap commodities in this day. They're like, man, we giving it, giving it away. And it says that he sat on it. Now, now think about this guy. This is a young donkey. Young donkeys, they work hard. They're fresh. They're prized possessions because they, they help take care of the family. And he's going to return it. But how does this guy really know? 
How many of you guys, somebody told you they're going to bring something back? They never do. I'm one of those guys. It was so funny. I was wearing a um, Pastor James' son, Levi. He left his hat at my house, and I was just wearing it. I'm like, dude, I'm going to rock. He left it here for like two weeks, man. <laughs> so so we, we had a moment, and we, we, were at, uh, we were at a birthday party, and he's like, hey, that's my hat. I'm like, not anymore. <laughs> so funny. But this guy doesn't know if, if he's, if he's going to get his, his, his donkey back. But what, what, is, what does he do? He, he lets it go. The Lord has need of it. Again, so what talent, what resource, what are you holding in your hand that God says, I got, I got need of that? And it's, as simple as this is, this guy wasn't like, my donkey's going to fulfill prophecy and ride in the Savior of the world. I, I don't know. Maybe God spoke that to him in a dream or maybe, but I don't think he had a clue. I think it was a simple act of obedience. I just said, I don't quite understand the plan. I know it's going to cost a little. But if the Lord needs it, take it. What are you holding? What's not making sense to you? Last thing is this, is we need to trust his way when the call doesn't make sense. Now I want you to imagine... This is, going to be a, this is going to be a stretch. I want you to imagine more with me today. Like imagine if the donkey could talk. Let's really talk about this. Like, Lord, you, you really want me? Like, you really want me? I'm not a stallion. I'm not trained. I'm restless, I'm not safe. No one's ever ridden me, and you know, if you've never ridden a horse or a donkey, the moment you get on that horse, the game changes. I'm dirty, I could be violent. If, if you get on top, you just never know what, what's gonna happen with me. I'm not familiar with you ride, and I remember my, my stepsister back in the day. We, we moved from the Bay Area, from San Leandro to Antioch. And out there, Antioch, there was nothing out there. It was, I mean, we would play on the construction sites because they were just mounds of dirt and farmland. And I'll never forget, there was this big horse. There was like a black stallion. At least it looked like a black stallion to me when I was a kid. And and me and my stepsister, we would, we, would go, we would go like to the edge of the fence where the horses are. And there's, you know, several different fields of horses. And we would just jump on the back of them and just see what happens. Right? And at, the, at that movie, like, my, my stepsister would always watch this movie. It was like Sheena or she rode, like she rode a zebra or something like that. And so she's like, what we're going to do, we're just going to jump on. We're going to grab their hair. We're just going to go. So I'm like, let's, let's do it. So we did that on a couple of horses. Sometimes, you know, they would, they would you know. Just be like, what are you doing? They kind of sit there for a minute. You'd walk. We're like, we're riding. But there was this one, this one that was by itself in, in this, little, this little, like, yard. It was huge, and it was black. And she's like, I think we should ride that one. I was like, you go first. Because <laughs> it, just, it just was big and majestic. And no joke, she jumped on the back of this horse. That thing threw her off so quick. And then it stomped her. <laughs> And you know, as you're a little kid, you're like, oh, 
You all right? Yeah, I'm okay. And then you just start dying laughing, right? <laughs> get, get out of here. Because you're just untamed. And so the fact that, that Jesus could sit on this, was a, this donkey was a miracle. But imagine if the donkey could talk. You want me. Maybe today you feel tied up. You feel untrained in some areas. You don't feel fit for the king. I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just, you fill in the blank. But the donkey came under the Savior. And in the same way, I, I believe that Jesus is inviting us today to come under the one who calmed the sea, who spoke the world into existence, to come under his word, just like a water outside of the fish is crazy. But you put them back in its element. It's like, oh, there's something about when we come up under the master, we find our place. We find our element. And it feels like we're losing our life, but we really find it. And Jesus gets on this donkey because in reality, this donkey was made for the king. You say, well, how do we do that? You got to come under. You got to come under him, under his word. You you got to serve him. You were made to serve the king. You got to let him untie you. You got to let him tame your restless heart. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, man, all you who are weary and heavy burden and laden, come to me and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in other words, it's like this. He says, you got to be yoked to me. I can't care for you properly unless you're yoked to me, unless you surrendered to me, unless we're, we're really in this a hundred percent together. Because it's, it's in that place that we find life. Jesus knew this entrance that he was making on Palm Sunday that people were either going to do one of two things. They were going to crown him or they were going to kill him. And I think the same choice is for us today. We're going to crown him as Lord or we're going to remove him from our life. I wish I could say there was a pick and pull middle ground. I wish I could say there was a Walmart middle ground. I wish I could say there was a medicated middle ground. I wish I could say all that, but I'm, I'm sorry that there is no middle ground. It's, it's you, you crown him or you kill him. Oh, but if you come under him and let him make an entrance into your life, even if you're saved, maybe you pushed him out of some areas and it's like, Lord, I need you to, Make an entrance again. He's standing at the door and knocking. I love this door. Jesus wasn't coming to make an entrance. He was coming to be the entrance. And he still is today. Let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you, God, that you chose proverbial donkeys for your glory to fulfill prophecy, to carry the Great Commission. I read the story of a donkey and it feels like it's my life. I see myself and you still picked me. Sometimes I don't know what to do with that. Lord, sometimes I get ahead of you and I want you to do it my way. Oh, but when I'm under you, 
everything changes. Everything comes back into perspective. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're like, man, Pastor Matt, I've never came under him. Maybe you're online and you're like, I, today's the day. I want to be yoked to him. I need it. He's he, so funny. He said, you surrender your life to me. Let me tell you what my yoke is like. It's easy and it's light. Like there's cost, like all these things are involved, but when you're with him, none of it matters. It's easy and it's light. Come experience the rhythms of my grace. If you're sitting here today, you say, I either need to rededicate my life or surrender my life to Jesus for the first time. Would you slip up your hand? If you're online, will you let us know in the chat? Every head bow, every eye closed. Don't let this moment go by. Like you know it's you. Your heart's racing right now. You know God is speaking to you. Just like he told me to sit down, he's telling you to stand up. If that's you today, just slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who you are so I can pray with you and for you. If you say, I need to surrender to him, I see your hand. Thank you. So good. Anybody else that would say today, online, let us know. We want to pray with you. I'm just going to wait another two seconds. For those, for the one that raised their hand, I want you to pray with me this prayer. It's kind of like wedding vows. I'm going to give you the words, but you, you make them your own. Say, Lord Jesus, come on, can we pray with them? Lord Jesus, I surrender today. God, I need you. I'm coming under you today, under your lordship. I'm giving you my life. Thank you for giving me yours. Forgive me for my sin. I'm turning from my way because now I know your way. You died, you rose, you're alive. So God, change me, heal me, restore me, revive me. I'm yours and I surrender today. I confess you, Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, can we give them and the Lord a big hand today? So good. Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.